We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the Blake 7 episode, Gold, by Colin Davis. An old friend of Avon's named Keeler has contacted them with an interesting proposition. He wants them to help him steal 18 billion units of gold. And I want to call them dollars. Some sort of monetary units. There's just a few little problems, like the gold is transformed into a useless black material. And there's no way to transform it back, unless you break into a super high-security facility and sabotage that, which they attempt to do. And it fails. And it's thought for a while that Avon and Sulin are killed. But they're not. They're just hiding with a plan now somewhat scuppered, they decide to go ahead with a backup plan. But you see, it turns out Keeler was going to betray them. Well, he'd been told to betray them, but he was going to betray the people who had told him to betray people. But now that his betrayal failed, he's going to try to betray the people in the first place by selling them, stealing the black gold and selling it to them anyway, with the help of Avon and the gang. This they do. And it turns out it's Servalan, and Avon gets away with all the money, and Servalan gets the useless black gold. Except, of course, it turns out the money's useless, and the black gold is worth every penny. Okay, um, this, we have a, we have a new, we have a new saying here. This is the very first episode of Blake 7 by Colin Davis. This it's the very last episode of Blake 7 by Colin Davis. Okay, um, what do you think? I must be living in a twilight zone because... <laughs> I know where this is going. Because Go we've now had two episodes in a row of Blake 7. I mean, I mean, I think it's generally agreed that this season has been, for the most part, abysmally bad. We've had two episodes in a row now that I have not hated. You know, it's more than that. This is two episodes in a row that I remember that I hated and weren't for me. This was much better than I remember it. Indeed. I don't remember this one. I I do, but, you know, like Sand, it was one of those like, oh, really? All right, I guess. But no, it was... It was, I'm not going to say that we're going to have a whole lot of depth for discussing on it, but, you know, it was a solid little story, and it wasn't nearly as confusing as my synopsis made it out to be. Although there was a fair amount of, well, there's a plan, and then there's another plan, but then he had another plan, and then they have a different plan, and then this plan is the plan that ultimately ends up going on. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it it's not, it doesn't really weigh it down with all that kind of in the story, you just kind of go with it, and mm -hmm. uh, all the characters mostly got something to do. Um, that was in their wheelhouse, yeah, for the most part. Uh, Villa was probably the most, um, 
diminished character? Yes, and yet he did not annoy me. And not, it's not because he was he, he had a minor part. I liked the way he was, for the most part, written in this one. In ter- yeah. You know, all his on-screen stuff, I enjoyed a great deal. Yeah. Um, Dana got to blow stuff up and and do some gunplay, which is, you know, all Dana is good for. Um, Tarrant was that sort of heroic Tarrant criminal guy in this one. Sort of. You know, he, he had um, he had that particularly good line where uh, Keeler said something to like, um, I'm sorry, Avon and Sulin are dead. And and Terrence says, well, at least that's something. And, you know, it's kind of it's kind of very Tarrant. You know, there's there's this. Well, it doesn't really matter. But at the same time, you know, the guy isn't a complete callous it means Keeler isn't a complete callous jerk. So, yeah, it, all, all around. Um, Avon was clever. Sulin was very useful. Yes, in this episode. Um, well, and not the, just not just that, but uh, and I'm I'm going to sidetrack just for a tiny tiny bit bit right here. Um, Tarrant and Sulin got to have a mild bit of comedy. That too. That too. Um, this. I I really wish Colin Davis had written more episodes. Agreed. This one was actually I uh, it, it it was not I mean it wasn't super uber stellar, but it was it it was suitably acceptable. It was it was a reasonably well-crafted heist story. Yes, exactly. I I wasn't going to go there quite yet, but you're correct. It uh it it is a it is a heist episode. And we know how those can play out well or play out poorly in this case you know it it played out reasonably reasonably linear and logical except for well the whole black gold thing is well yeah the the the, yeah the the science behind that's a it was bordering on alchemy but aside from that uh i mean we we teleport well, yeah, I mean, so we so we kind of have to take that, you know, a little bit of a little bit of grain of salt, but just just accept that for what it is, and um, you know, just just kind of move on. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's see. I, I this is not going to be an easy one to. This is not going to be an easy one to draw any depth out of because it's, it is just that it's it shallow. Just. I mean, and I'm, I'm not being, I'm not point being mean. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it is what it is. There, I mean, there's, there's, there's no heavy symbolism. There, there's no deep analysis. There's no, um, you know, meanings and morals and, you know, and any of that in this one. This is just what you saw. Yep. And, uh, and our heroes didn't win. No, they didn't. <laughs> Even um, though we were being led to think that they were winning, but then, but even then, I I, I knew that just couldn't be the case. Servalen took them all the way. She had this thing buttoned up from the beginning. I think. I it, think that's what we're supposed to get out of this: is that even with the double crossing that. You know, Avon thinks they aren't expecting. I think she was expecting it. 
because I think so too. Um, so we might as well just go ahead and cut to that chase uh, right at the very end when Servalin reveals herself. You know, there's Avon. You know, saying, you know, this is how I figured it out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and Servalin came off, you know, very good, Avon. And now, and at at, but at the same time, she's really uber confident. So it's not like she's acting like you know she got caught with her hand in the cookie jar. Mm-mm. She's. Yeah, it's it's really hard to describe. I mean, there I kind of get the feeling that there was some kind of, you know, some kind of mutual admiration thing going on there between the oh, two yeah. of them. Uh, but it it was a but you know, this, this the one thing that we've had about Servalan throughout this entire series, and I mean going all the way back to when we first meet her, pretty much all the time she is the cleverer one, mm-hmm. the most clever of all the characters. Yes, it's always been luck that saved. It was always luck that saved Blake. Mm-hmm. I mean, invariably. And <clears throat> I think in the case of Avon, it's not so much luck. I mean, he is very, very crafty, but not crafty enough to win. Just crafty enough to get out. Stay you know, alive. With their, yeah, with yeah. their skins intact. So there is a line, and and you know, let's credit to credit to a Mister Davis. Uh, there are a couple lines in this episode that. Again, I when I'm watching it, I'm like, wow, this is a guy who actually got Blake Seven. You know, we have some writers that are watching it like, uh, you know, I don't think you got this character. I think in this one, he pretty much nailed all the characters. It's like mm-hmm. he really did his research. And and so there's that line where Avon is explaining to Servalim how he managed to get in the catbird seat where he thinks he is. And he says, you know, something about Keeler, and he says, but he doesn't know you as well as I, I do. do. Yeah. And Servalon's response is very telling. Who does? Who does? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, Avon is her, I think she sees Avon as her Moriarty. Possibly. Possibly. I, you know, actually, I would agree with that. Yeah. You know, this is this is the guy who's her equal, obviously. You know, she might offer him a partnership, but she'll kill him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if he did, and he knows that. But, you know, it's tempting because here's a woman that's as clever as he is when it comes to this kind of stuff. It's just he knows he knows what kind of a person he'd be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I, you know, more, more points to uh, to to Mister Davis. The only the only thing that I think he fouled up on seriously was, and everybody does it. So why not Orac? Oh well, yeah. Thinking um, about what Orac can do with computers and what the problem is about finding out how to convert the gold back is as simple as tapping into done a computer and, and get it. the code. Right. Or yep. could have easily gotten that. And, you know, in the past, we've commented about how uh, they've completely retconned Orac, you know, from being this, this uh, miracle computer device that could get in and hack anything to being something that, you know, well, obviously you can't have that because if you did, then you would end Blake seven in one episode because yes, it would, it would have brought down the Federation. Yeah, it would. Yeah, exactly. I would, it would have taken down the Federation in a heartbeat. So we can't do that. 
so they dumb Orac down. But what did we get out of this one? I mean, there's inconsistency here because at, right at the very end, what do they learn? They learn that um, uh, oh crap. Uh, pardon me. I'm trying to remember the name of the planet. It just Xerox. went out. Xerox. Thank you. They, they we learned from Orac that Xerox has seceded to the Federation, mm-hmm. and that uh, the the gold is going to become the new currency, and that Federation notes within seven days are going to become meaningless. How did Orac get that information? Oh yeah, no. By he's... tapping into something and reveal, and like, okay, well, why couldn't he just tapped into that stupid computer on the planet and gotten the codes? Then, well, you know, he is he is definitely still been tapping into computers over the years. What he has not been doing is what not volunteering well, any information because they don't ask him. No, no, no. What he what he hasn't been doing as much as he should uh, is controlling computers. Right, so he originally had the ability to take control of Zen. Right, he's he took control of. Uh, he was feeding. Well, he was feeding stuff into Ultra World, the computer mm-hmm. um, or the brain, as you want to <clears throat> look at it. He's he did stuff to the system to cause their systems to blow up and destroy. Right. I mean, he had those powers, and and he still even in Series Four he put. Information. Remember, they asked him to run some battle simulations, and he basically, instead of doing it himself, he relayed the instructions to another computer. Right. He and had, had he, to do the work for he him. He had which better things to do. Off. He had better things to do. So he still absolutely got the power to do it, e- even here in Series 4. It's just that the writers have, well, you know, they've got, you've got two tr- courses of action. You've got the sonic screwdriver can turn screws, which is boring, or you've got the sonic screwdriver can do magic, which right. is stupid at the far end, and it's really hard. It's tough to strike that to balance. Set a cons- yeah, sort of a, like, well, I can do this, but I can't do wood. Okay, that's stupid. Why wouldn't sonic work wood? It's not a magnetic screwdriver. Uh, you know, there's just this... <clears throat> There's this series of inconsistencies. And Orac is the same way. Here is a computer that should be able to do basically everything they've ever wanted to do. And yes, they did do put that bomb in him to prevent him from using certain parts of his carrier waves, mm-hmm. which is what allowed him to take control of computers at incredible distances instantaneously. But... You know, in close proximity, he still seems to have that have that ability, and that was, you know, that that was the part that bugged me in this episode when he was saying, "Well, well, you know, they put it in this computer, and the computer's going to generate a code, and then nobody knows what the code is." Think Orac does. Problem solved. Yeah, and the episode Orac has always been problematic, as as we know. That's the problem with again, as you said, you know, writing something that is so big. You know, then, I mean, it's really it it has its own built-in expiration date. If you know, it, it, you cannot sustain it mm-hmm. over a period of time, because then it it becomes you know the magic wand. And in a way, I appreciate the fact that Blake Seven um, didn't go magic sonic screwdriver with Orac. Yeah, but at the same time, then why keep Orac around? 
Well, he is a terribly clever computer. He is, uh, you know, but they, they should have, you know, he needs to be altered or modified. I don't know. But yeah, just keeping right. keeping Oric around as he is creates points of frustration unless they were kind of banking on people not remembering. I think that's part of it. Or, you know, in, in most cases, I think it's because the writers don't remember. Yeah, that too. You know, we've got this amazing computer. Okay, he's a really good computer. And, and all right, let's – but – I'm going to make a counterpoint here. I'm not saying that, saying not saying you were wrong, but when Orac announced that Xerox had ceded and that he may have not gotten that from computers. That may have been the public, you know, television networks. It's very possible. So you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's the sort of thing that makes the news. <laughs> so I mean, that one that that particular bit of information. Um, what didn't didn't bug me too much, but it you know it was just yeah yeah sadly couldn't they leave they never go back to Zen and Base anymore either have you noticed that yeah they're acting just like they used to um, you know when they were uh, on Liberator I don't know how long it's been since they've been to Zen and Base but it, it seems like well Headhunter probably the last time we last time we were on the base. Gosh, I can't even remember. I'd have to look at my notes. I don't recall now. They could have left Orac behind, but that'd be a stupid thing to do. Oh, of course it would. You know, <laughs> that would, so, 610, well, we shouldn't have left Orac behind. Eh, darn, K9 can't come out of the TARDIS. Mm. <laughs> Guess we'll have to solve the problem on our own today. Yeah, you know, well, then you wouldn't have Orac there to tell them that they can't actually teleport the black gold up because it would turn to dust. Right. And slave isn't figure isn't smart enough to figure that one out. Although Keeler, well, no, Keeler, what did say? So they, they could have written. I mean, yeah, the whole thing could have been rewritten in a, in a in a way to where, okay, so Keeler knows enough about teleport technology or or is aware of it that any kind of uh, molecular teleportation would re- reduce it to that, and therefore um, the one the one other really positive thing that Oryx uh, Oryx provides in this, you know, you don't need any more. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you a question, and this we can we can deep dive into this one if we oh dear we want to uh oh so Keeler's on the planet, the processing planet, and uh, Xerox, mm-hmm. and he's waiting for Avon and Sulin to show up, and he's crouched down at the meeting place, and he's looking to his left, and Avon and Sulin teleport in behind him, on his right. And he turns around and he's like, whoa, how'd you get here? And they go, doesn't matter. Da-da, da-da, da-da. So they've kept the teleport. And that's an important part of the story is that they kept the knowledge of the teleport away from Keeler. Right. Right? Are their computers so good that they can tell that Keeler's looking to the left when they teleport down basically right inside of him if he hadn't been looking the other way? Or was that just a... We were going to tell him about the teleport now, but since he didn't see it, we won't bother to tell him. I'm going to go with the second one. Because to yeah. be able to actually predict or be able to be able to read the situation on the planet and know exactly the perfect opportunity to beam down or teleport down and uh, keep that a secret from Keeler, it just seems impossible. way too impossible. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's just poor um, camera work or directing. I'll put it on the director. I think they should have 
put them down behind something and had them come around a thing, but they didn't. They just chose to do the shot that way and to make it visually interesting, and it didn't, didn't work out anything. All right, let's see. Have I got anything else? Um, that is the best-looking spaceship they've had on Blake 7 in a long time. You know, it's funny you mention that. Um, I actually, I did make a note of this, and the the model work for the docking of the two ships actually mm-hmm. made me smile. Because, I mean, obviously, you, you look at the quality of it. The quality, I mean, the, 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 as an effect, it stinks. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. And yet it made me smile because I liked the little detail that was involved. Mm-hmm. And so that I thought looked great. And that model ship, I mean, you could actually see a tiny bit into the cockpit or the bridge or whatever you want to call it. I didn't actually notice that. I, I did today. I was looking at the design of the ship. But the design like, was cool, you know, too. I like, I like that ship. You yeah. know, most of the ships in the Blake 7 world, with a few exceptions, are kind of, well, think about the alien armada at the end of Star 1. Oh, that was just bizarre. It was, it was, yeah, know. that was weird. Every, every ship they've ever shown in the series, everything they could cobble from Doctor Who, and every kitchen implement that they could wrap some tape around and pretend like it was a spaceship was in that armada. This actually looked like somebody spent some time and came up with a new and unique design mm-hmm. for a spaceship <clears throat> just for the show. And I liked it. You know, I'm like, oh, I did that's, too. That's a nice looking ship. That's, I, that's, thought it looked, um, I thought it looked great. Caught my eye immediately. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why, because it's on the first shot. And maybe the director said, look, this has got to be, it's got to look good because that's what, that's what we open with. And in order to um, save money elsewhere, I was reading some some trivia notes on this episode and read that they had actually reused um, th- some of the sets from Assassin. I think it was. Assassin? Could. Assassin. I, I, I think it was, yeah. That's, I think that's what I read. Uh, you know, I, the sets looked familiar to me. I have to say, the the ship sets, I was, I was thinking, um, oh, I can't think of, Nightmare in Eden. Was what was crossing my mind. Ah. But, you know, BBC designers. Mm-hmm. Luxury spacecraft. Okay. We have standard BBC luxury spacecraft 1970s, early 1980s uh, design there. I wonder if it got reused for Doctor Who during the Trial of a Time Lord period. Hmm. Now, you know, the Trial of a Time Lord space station looked really nice to me. The interiors. I mean, they, they had... They had that ornamental Gallifreyan feel to them that you don't get. I mean, it's not like when they were in Gallifrey on not the end of time. Um, <laughs> the ones with the Vardens and the Suntarns. Oh, God. Invasion of time. Invasion of time, yes. Right, they're walking through the through the corridors and, you know, they put like potted plants and kind of nice... Uh, weird chairs out to make it look like it's ornamental. But when you go back to Deadly Assassin, there's sort of ornamental details to the columns and things that, that aren't there. And then when they got around to Trial of a Time Lord again, they they kind of got that Gallifreyan sort of look. I, I, don't, I don't think this was... I don't think this was snagged for there, but maybe some other generic stuff for for Doctor Who in that era. Frankly, it looks older than it is. You know, if you look at 1981 Doctor Who, 
looks so much better than this. <sighs> uh, that I'll give John Nathan Turner. Uh, you know, I have to take another he, look at those. I, I'm not crazy about some of the things that they did for the design for John Nathan Turner's era, but you know, if you look at the the spaceships in Warriors Gate, or uh, there is a new look to it that does not have that all of the 1970s BBC science fiction look to it. And and this still has that 1970s BBC science fiction look to it to me. Oh, so yes, absolutely. Blake 7 never made the transition that Doctor Who did, uh, for good or for ill. Um, and and there are only the three episodes left, I think. So uh, Yes, this, you're correct. So, there's the scene where Dana's... I guess under the original plan, Dana is supposed to pretend to be ill. And the doctor on the ship is an idiot, and they're going to use that to call for a medical emergency. But at the last moment, the doctor is sick, and so they put a new doctor on. And because of that, they have to give Dana a drug that actually makes her sick. For reals. And... It's a little bit of a weird complication to this story that the screw-up occurs because Dana is in so much pain, she grabs Avon's arm and, like, pulls his gun down or something when they're at a right. at a crucial moment. And then the doctor manages to escape and, and, and would have caused problems if Keeler hasn't killed him in cold blood. Mm. But I that scene wasn't exactly – you know, that whole subplot with her being ill and – yeah, it, that, that, that came out of nowhere, and then just for that one complication, and literally in the next scene, she's one hundred percent fine. Yeah, that kind of threw me for a loop because well, maybe even gave her the antidote, but I, that yeah, she was begging that, for, but they don't show that. No, no, they don't. Suddenly she's fine. I was a bit confused by that, and then I just came to the conclusion that well, okay, so maybe she just didn't eat any of the food. And is only pretending to have eaten the food, I'd, or something. I don't know what. I, I I don't know what it is. It was just, it, it was odd, the way that played out. Yeah, she was. She took. They gave her a specific drug. They don't even name it. They just like come in mid sentence and they say, you know, it won't harm her. So it's not the food. The food is, you know, has the earth type suppressants in it to keep you docile and stupid. Right. This was a, an actual poison they gave her to make her genuinely sick for the doctor to uh, review or to examine. Um, and they don't really explain it much. They're just like, I don't like this. Well, the real doctor's not on board, so... Uh. That was, it was a very bizarre uh, plot twist of a sort. I, and I kind of feel it, it was unnecessary, really. Mm-hmm. And then there's that music on that ship. Oh, God. I got to tell you, I was watching it um, on my computer, and, and Keith was uh, in, the, in, in, in our office sitting at his computer, and all of a sudden this music came on, and he just had to laugh at it. And, and he says, you, that is the, the, the corniest music. I mean, what is that? You know, and, and it doesn't match anything that I'm, that, that I'm seeing there. And I said, it's supposed to be a cruise liner. And he went, oh, and that was it. Ah, they got a Norwegian. Yeah, we got a Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> inside joke there, people. Yes, that is an inside joke there, people. Um, answers on a postcard if you uh, if you want to take a guess what it's about. And, 
<laughs> so let's see. Um, one other thing. One oh, there's there is another serve along line that I particularly liked in Avon line, where he's got a gun to her head. She says, "You know, their orders are to shoot you first. So you kill me, you're dead." And he says, "It might be worth it. It might be worth the sacrifice," which you know is sort of a Blakey. That's a very Blakey kind of line, yeah. And then Servalon's response is, you know, it seemed the sacrificial type to me. She's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's like, so what's what's Avon doing there when he says that? Is he bluffing? I think he's toying. Trying to play Blake? Is he, I don't know. I think he was simply toying with her. Just, just because. Not not to get anything or uh, to to learn any more information. It was just it, he he was just toying with her because he's Avon. Okay, two last things. One, Keeler's fate. Ooh, bit stiff, but you know maybe well deserved. Well, so she says. You know, he asks if he's going to get any pay, and she says, "What do you need money for here?" And he's because it's a planet that's completely devoid of life, um, and. It's like you can't leave me here. There's no food. There's no people, and that's uh, da, 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 and you know, no big deal. Fine. That seems like a serverland thing to do, but when the truck drives away, he's dead. Oh yeah, I well, so I, I why did it. they do that? I mean, they've they've clearly done it for the reveal because they, you know they get in the truck and they pull away, and you see the body lying there. It's like they just they went to the trouble of explaining. That they were going to leave you stranded on this planet forever to die, and then they kill you. Why? That didn't make sense to me. Not entirely, nope. Unless he tried to jump them, in which case they should have shown it. Yeah, it would have been nice. But other than that, there's uh, it, it felt like it was deliberate. Um, I don't know. It, it, was, it was odd. It was very odd, but it felt to me that that was going to be the plan anyway. That they were just going to kill him regardless. Yeah. Which seems kind of almost merciful. Yes. Between the two. That's far more merciful than leaving him there on the planet. So that was... I, I, I just didn't quite get that part. So the other thing is, of course, our final scene. Where, after having revealed that... Avon knew that it was Servalan pulling the strings. The crew of the Scorpio are uh, perhaps a little, perhaps a little miffed, and say, "You know, you should have told us this." And his response was, "Would it have made any difference?" And Terence like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And like, That's why I didn't tell you. I mean, it's a very <laughs> oh wow! I was like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's a very Avon thing. Very and much. Like, well, I assessed the situation, and you guys would not do this if you know. And I've just made us very, very rich uh, because it was worth the risk. And then, you know, we have this scene where they talk about them ceding to the Federation. Which, and and my point for I think that this is all. Servalan's plan because of course she she initially got um Keeler to do this. So we can assume that she picked which run of the ship they were gonna do it on, the heist. 
So she picked the flight which would occur at the time that Xerox seeded, because that's probably something that had been negotiated in advance. You know, high-level diplomats probably knew about that, and so she timed that right on the button. She engineered all of that when they would make the announcement when the ship was flying. So, you know, it, it was a, it was a beautifully masterstroke plan. But anyway, um, when they find out that their money is completely worthless, then Sulin has the the right comment. She's like, "We didn't just risk our lives for nothing. We risked our lives to make Servalan rich." Yeah. And Avon laughs madly. Yes, that's not that's not. <laughs> well, they got me on that one. That was fist-clenching-the-money insanity. It was insane laughter. It, I thought it was really peculiar at the time. Um, but is it entirely out of character? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, is this Avon laughing at the fact that he, got, that he was outconned? Well, remember his reaction when the Liberator was destroyed. Yes. He turned okay. away smiling. He turned away smiling, and this is e- effectively exactly the same scenario, except this time Servalon not only beat him, but got away with the prize. Yeah. And, and, this, and, and not, to, not to jump into the future, but I also happen to know this is not the last time we're going to see Avon pull this kind of reaction no i i think we're gonna get at least one more we we get i think we're gonna get three more i I wow i think if we look at it now you know obviously this show is 30 40 years old right and we're not we're not trying to do spoilers but i think if i recall that this is basically a change in avon's personality at this point, I think when we watch the further, when we watch the next few episodes, the last three episodes, I think we'll see this wearing on his personality. So, hmm, possibly, I, and I, I could be wrong because you know how writers are; sometimes they just forget this stuff. But I, I just have this sort of tinge of insanity recollection in looking at the names of the last three episodes. So. Uh, and and yeah, he he definitely cracked. He definitely cracked at the end of this episode. They're not he'll uncrack is another story. Okay. Um Oh, did you notice Orak laughed? No. He did. He I did. missed that. He says it's um it while you were in the thing, uh Xerox ceded to the Federation and and they go that means Servalan will now be able to take the gold back to the planet and have it processed and no one will know where she got it and she'll be rich. And Orak goes, it's more than that. <laughs> There's a snicker in his voice. Yeah, I missed that. There is. Go back and listen to just that last bit. Wow. There is a snicker in his voice when he then tells them that the banking system will be taking over. And it's like, oh, I didn't actually know Orak could laugh but then at the same time he can be annoyed he oh, can be very snarky and terribly snarky. annoying so, why, so, so why, not? why not no i agree especially if he knows that this is going to be a source of irritation to avon or you know, mm-hmm. to, pretty yeah mostly avon it's more than that 
just a laugh. Uh, or worse than that, I can't remember which it was, but I mean, he 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 relished that next line, and it was it was kind of a uh, wacky out of character. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to make a completely not a promoed or paid for or anything like that, or or even if knowledgeable, I'm going to make a little plug today. Um, yesterday. So I haven't had a lot of time to look into it. But yesterday, uh, a friend of mine came <laughs> to me and said, look, I found this new magazine at Barnes & Noble. And he showed me a magazine called Infinity. And it's like its third issue. And it is a all-color glossy, looks like 1970s Starburst. It's a British uh, this is a British magazine. Starburst was a British magazine. It looks it looks very much like that. The cover is season two space nineteen ninety nine artwork. Oh, really? And the whole magazine. And I purchased the back the first two issues. We're talking Star Trek, Flash Gordon, Space nineteen ninety nine, Planet of the Apes, um, uh, you know, Escape from New York. I mean, all. Oh, I mean, just exactly the kind of stuff that we <laughs> watch and talk about. So I haven't even really had a chance to go through the magazines yet. But if you happen to be in Barnes and Noble and you're uh, looking around, there is a magazine called Infinity out there that um, uh, looks kind of cool. Uh, Might be worth checking out. Uh, well, um, uh, let's see, we got a Barnes and Noble up a little north of here. I might That's go right. there to check it out. Go check it out. Anyway, Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, it was a pleasure. <laughs> and listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.